right, everybody. We're back for another hour of the Chicken and Liquor Hour. Uh, we have a special guest, first-time guest. Uh, I like to call it the big homie. <laughs> it's the it's the the big homie. Uh, Matt, do you remember when we met? I do remember when we met. We did we meet before IPDS because I think we met. Are you are you in the Atlanta area? Now I am. I was in Florida then, though. Right at Region Six. Did we go out to dinner when I came to speak? Oh, probably, probably. Were you yeah. on the Were you on the regional team? No, I wasn't on the team or anything though. I was just a a small little dumpling in the back, just minding my business back then. Yeah, <laughs> just minding my business. I knew we got to know each other really well at IPBS, but I knew I had met you before that. Correct. Correct. So uh, everybody, this is uh, uh, the the Thriller in Manila, the big homie, uh, good old Marsh, Marsha. Well, how do you say your whole name? Do you want to say your whole name? You don't have to. It's Marsha Herman Betson, but Marsha or MHB is great. MHB. Well, shout out. Um, so the big me and the big homie met back in like 2014 or something, probably. Uh, from working through like higher education and all of that at a, a conference. And that was when I was like a newer employee. So uh, I was fresh in the game, a nice little youngin that didn't know what he was getting himself into. And you was just about to retire then, right? I did. I retired the next year. Mm, how has retirement treated you? Oh my gosh, Will and your audience, <laughs> you should be so jealous. It is <laughs> Absolutely the best. Now, wait, let me just tell you. First of all, you never have to set an alarm again. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's say you're staying up late and you're just, you're reading a book, you're watching, you're binging on a television show, you're watching an incredible movie, you're doing a DIY project. You don't have to go to bed because you can get up whenever you want. So set an mm. alarm, forget it. It is so much personal freedom <laughs> like I haven't had because I don't have to be anywhere. I now have breakfast on my deck with my husband instead of running past him. And we have big breakfast. I started a book club with 11 phenomenal diverse women. Never could have a book club because I traveled so much. Um, I get to see my grandchildren, my during COVID, my grandson and I read the first four books of Harry Potter. Oh, wow. Uh, together over, over FaceTime. Um, I love having people I've had so, I don't miss the work one bit. <laughs> no, that's not what they say. I miss people, but those people have come in my life. But if somebody told me I had to go tour, a brand new union, I'd slip my wrist. <laughs> Just telling you like it is. So, so was that, so there was never like a hard time, like adjusting to retirement whatsoever. You jumped right in and it felt lovely. You know what? I, on the way home, it was uh, May 1st, 2015. On the way home, I got a strawberry ice cream cone, stopped at the flower shop to get all these flowers for my deck. That was on a Friday. On Sunday night, when I knew I didn't have to go to work, I was doing the happy dance. Do, do, do. 
have to go to work. I can't, and I loved my job when I had it. Don't misunderstand me. But I was so ready mm-hmm. to, and I think that's the whole secret. Don't go until you're ready, go on your terms. And then I think you'll be happy. Yeah. But no, I'm never bored. And that was even with COVID. I was never, ever bored. I loved, I've loved every minute and it's been seven years. That's awesome. So it's basically like just a, a, a very extended vacation. Yes, yes. <laughs> you don't have to come home to a lot of, you know, dirty laundry because, <laughs> or you know that first you're so, you need a day off before you leave on a vacation to get mm-hmm. ready the day when you get back to sleep and unpack yeah no without those two ends that's what retirement is I was uh yeah I was actually talking to one of my student staff members today at work and uh well no my I was talking to my uh intern we have a graduate intern this summer and I told her I said don't forget I'm gonna be out uh from Friday until next Wednesday she said why so you just got a five-day weekend and I said yeah I said I always take off the day after I come back from vacation so I'll be back on Monday, but I'm taking that Tuesday off. But then I also work from home on Wednesday. So I won't be back to work until next Thursday. And I told her, I said, the trick I learned when I got into the professional world, always take the day off after you come back. Because when I first started working right after grad school, and like, I remember it was when I took my first vacation was for, it was one of the summer holidays. It was something like uh, Memorial Day or 4th of July or something. And I got back on Tuesday and went back to work on Wednesday morning, I was exhausted because I got back Tuesday evening at like 6 p.m. Since I got back, I'm ironing my clothes for the next morning and never again. So never again. So I totally understand that. That feeling when it's like Sunday evening and you realize you don't have to go to work the next day, that's a beautiful feeling. You know what I did on Monday? And this is sick. That first Monday, I set my alarm like I normally would and I turned it off and laughed at it. (laughs) I went, ha, 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 turn it off. And my husband was ready to lock me up right then. <laughs> when's, the, when's the last time you set your alarm? Oh, wow, she's got to think about it. That's dope. I, I don't, that la- the first Monday I retired just to, as a joke, I've never, I don't, yeah, I don't set my alarm anymore. Really? I, you haven't <laughs> set your alarm in years? In years, I haven't worn these clothes in years. <laughs> so that means you love me then, because you put on some real clothes for me. Oh my God, pearls! <laughs> makeup. I was going. Oh my God, where is makeup? I gotta find. <laughs> That's uh. That, that was basically. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And then when you and I couldn't connect, I thought, hell, he better connect. I'm a <laughs> dressed up. You would have had the wrath of Marcia. Y'all, so everybody listening, we was having some technical difficulties before logging on, and she let me know that she had to put clothes and makeup on for this, so I better find a way for us to connect on here. So I was nervous and sweating. I said, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. No rescheduling. I have to figure, because if we can't get it now, she'll never come back on ever again and deal with me. <laughs> That's right, Will. But that, lo- that kind of sounds like me when we was back in 2020, when we was like really shut down during the pandemic. We sold basically everything here. We shut down. It was a week before my birthday because I had made all these birthday plans and I had people coming in town and everything. So it was mid-March when we shut down and I didn't go to campus from 
the end of March until like August 3rd. So for all those months, basically what, five or six months, I didn't go in. So for those months, first of all, the barbershops were closed. So I didn't get any type of haircut. So my beard was crazy thick. My hair was all over the place. I wasn't putting on real clothes ever. I was wearing swim trunks and tank tops every day. That was pretty much me. And I would just go for walks. The only places I ever went was the grocery store and the liquor store. And that's when I started cooking even more and making drinks just to get creative and all of that. But for the most part, I didn't have a problem with that part of shutdown. Like I was chilling and relaxed. The only part that I didn't like was the gyms were closed. So I got fat for those first, the first like two months. Cause you know, people was treating it like a vacation. Then they realized, oh, we might be home for a lot longer. And so all those people that was day drinking and just eating and everything get caught up. So then I had to make some changes after that first month and a half. But outside of that, swim trunks and tank tops, no, I can't wait for retirement. My primary care doctor said that on the average, people gain between 15 and 20 pounds over COVID. Yeah, I definitely gained, I gained about 16, I gained about 17 pounds during COVID. Yeah, I gained 17 pounds because I remember it didn't feel like I had gained that much weight for real. Like I really didn't think anything, but I did start noticing like I had, my muscles was more defined before. And I'm like, oh man, my muscles aren't that defined, but I'll be fine. I can get it back. And my first day back to the gym, I got on a scale and no, I had gained 19 pounds. And I was like, oh, well, I need a reset and start all over and get this back together again. But yeah, I gained, I definitely gained 19 and it's crazy going back to work and you kind of feeling bad about yourself. And then you realize, Oh, everybody was going through it. Everybody was putting on weight and stuff. So that kind of makes you not feel as insecure and bad about yourself when you realize we're all going through it. And then on top of everything, one of my other bucket lists when I retired is learning how to make French pastries. So every morning I get up and I would make, uh, you know, a fresh almond croissant or a fresh cinnamon roll. And <laughs> And my husband, who is six foot five and wears the same jeans he wore in high school, would eat one of them. And then I had to eat the rest of the plate. (laughs) And at one point, I said, this is so weird, Keith. Your doctor's telling you to gain weight. My doctor is telling me to lose weight. And Keith turned to me and said, well, honey, we should just switch doctors. That's hilarious. Oh, yes. If you switch doctors, you won't have the problem. Exactly. <laughs> That's hilarious. So my, uh, my husband has just got this real dry sense of humor. So he doesn't do shtick like me, but it'll be real quiet. And he'll just get those zingers in. And they, <laughs> after 47 years, he still just cracks me up. Have y'all been married 47 years? August 16th will be 47 years. Wow, that's amazing. That it is. is that I'm is, proud of that. Do you realize you've been married longer than I've been alive? Hearing <laughs> <laughs> that. <laughs> that you know, is, well, after having some of the health issues, uh, he said to me yesterday, and I absolutely believe it. He said, I'm really glad I'm here. Even if it gets hard. I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. That was that's how I feel. I'm glad I'm here. Life is hard. It gets harder as you get older. Not everybody is lucky to have those fabulous genes, not the kind you wear, the kind that your DNA. Um, <laughs> but they're not. And your body's starting to wear out. And 
things that didn't bother you before. I mean, I used to run cleaning my house, you know, I, and basically I sold out and I found out how much it cost to keep the gray out of my hair. And I got rid of that <laughs> and I could hire somebody to help me clean my house. <laughs> Correct. I, and I had gone gray a long time ago. <laughs> it's even like, even, uh, even, I even can see just small changes. Like when I got into my thirties, I'm like, oh, it is now like, and I should always be stretching when you work out. But in my twenties, I wasn't stretching. I was just going and working out and hitting the gym and it was nothing. And now, now in my thirties, I'm like, oh, I actually I have to stretch when I work out now. And I can't just go in there and start lifting weights or run and do my core and all that. I actually have to stretch. I actually, now I have to watch more. Like I've always been for at least for the last, nine or 10 years, I've been really uh, intentional about my weight and my eating habits and all that. But now I have to be even more intentional because when I was in my twenties, I could get away with eating certain stuff late at night, or I could wake up in the middle of the night, eat a piece of chicken and go back to bed. Now I can't do that type of stuff anymore. And because it catches up with you and it sticks to you more than it did when I was 25. So I even see that now. And so you really do have to take care of your body. Honey, I wish I had better news for you, but that's only going to get worse. <laughs> so just enjoy the time you have because, boy, it gets worse. That's, yeah, like with my hair, I've seen like my hairline. It's not like bad, but I have definitely seen this receding now. And I'm like, oh, so I need to get everything I want out of my hair now while I can before I start losing it because... I'm seeing like some of my friends, they're already just shaving their head and just going to go ahead and be bald now. And I'm like, dang, it it came out of nowhere. It, it really comes out of nowhere. It comes fast. Like when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't seem like time is moving that fast. But then when you take a step back and look back, you're like, oh, those last five years went by fast or those last 10 years went by fast. I mean, now I've been in Atlanta now, it'll be three years in August. And these three years have... So, I mean, most of the time it's been a pandemic though. So of course it's flown by though. So, so you talk about your husband, you, you've been married 47 years. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how you all met? Oh yeah. It's such a good, it's such a good story. I think the only time I've told it publicly was when we were in Hawaii and uh, I had this lay around my neck and it got real romantic. And I told that story in front of everybody. And you know me, I don't have a good filter. <laughs> and so I just told them and they were just going oh my god <laughs> so I I taught I had my master's and I was teaching school in the inner city in Albuquerque so I had all Hispanic and Native American students one so hold on real quick I'm sorry to interrupt where are you where are you originally from um I was born in Detroit Michigan but I grew up in Albuquerque okay okay so you grew up in Albuquerque and you was teaching in Albuquerque I, okay I I had gotten my master's at University of Michigan, went back to Albuquerque where my family was and was teaching. And we hated the teacher's lounge because they were all these older curmudgeons and a kid didn't have a chance. And there were three young teachers who were just, all of us during one of the years had gotten teacher of the year. Hmm. And we would eat in the science room. It was the chorus teacher, Ken Batson, the science teacher, Mickey Middleton, and me. And we hated it because they smoked in the teacher's lounge and we hated the way they talked about students. Anyway, one day we're sitting there and Ken Betson says, 
uh, Marsh, my brother's moving from San Francisco to Santa Fe. Do you want to go out with them? And I knew Ken was a deacon in the Catholic Church. And I said, will he convert? And, and, and Ken said, you're not going to marry him. You're just going to go out with him. <laughs> so he picks me up. This is our first date. I'm 26. He's 29. Picks me up in a Dodge 57 panel truck and his my door his door doesn't work so he has to go in first through my door <laughs> and I get in but we went to get this pizza this deep dish pizza and then to see I'll never forget the movie was airplane and my students were at the ticket so we got in free so the whole date cost him four bucks you know it was like oh, a slice we got I in I would love that because dates these days is $100, $200. So anyway, he, I said, do you want to come in? This was after the show. And he said, sure. We sat on the couch and we talked and we talked. And I shared this poem, how I feel like a daffodil instead of a rose. Like, you know, a daffodil, the kids ride their bikes over. Nobody yeah. puts daffodils on somebody's grave or carries them down the aisle. It's a rose. But I was a okay, just remember. Okay. Over and he took my face in his hands and he kissed me. And I said, Do you want to go in our my bedroom and take off all our clothes and talk? <laughs> it you was, just said that you just went straight to the point. Yeah, <laughs> it's because my I love when somebody touches my face. And so he did this, and I just went, I lost it. Anyway, um, he left about four in the morning, and then uh, he called me at 6.30, and he said, do you want to go to breakfast? And I said, yes. Wait a minute, he left at four in the morning and called you at 6.30. Yeah, he was having the same problem I was. And then... <laughs> And then this is the best. I taught school. He called me and wanted to come back and spend the weekend with me next week, the following weekend. And he, when he rang the bell, he had two dozen roses. And he said, you're not a daffodil to me. Oh. And that, and that uh, weekend at the end, he said, I know it's too soon, but will you marry me? And I, yeah, that was actually about eight days. And we didn't get married till 10 months later. And both our parents thought we were nuts. And I thought, but you know, I was 26. He had 29. He was more different than anybody I'd ever met. And when he asked me, I said, yes. And he said, now what do I do? Should I get a ring or something? <laughs> Y'all was made for each other. <laughs> So, and then 40 plus years later, here you are. 47 years together. And it hasn't been all perfect and roses. And But when I look at that 47 year, I swear, Will, this is so trite. I love him more today than I ever loved him at the beginning. That's amazing. Yeah. It, we buried his parents and my parents. I buried a sister. Keith had a kidney transplant and had been really ill. Um, there's just life that happens to all of us. And, and 
we had a child together and he's he's seen me when I've gained weight, when I've not gained weight. And, you know, by the time you get to this place, you know, I just, I might've been had that, you know, that attraction stuff inside you when you first meet somebody and you can't sleep, that gets replaced with something so incredible. And people don't wait for that. They, some people are always want that rush of a beginning relationship, you know, but, but it gets replaced with something so, so much better. So that, that's amazing. Cause I'm at a point where I'm like, I'm just tired and I'm done with the, the dating and stuff. Cause I feel like I get tired of like a certain woman that maybe I've been talking to or trying to date for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, whatever. And it's like, I don't know if it's me or is it's like, I don't, they don't, I'm not like, man, I really want to talk to them. Like, I really want to text them. I can't wait to see them type of thing. So I'll, I'll fall back so quickly. So it's like, am I just being impatient and just like, should I try it out and give it a chance? Because maybe if I get to know them more, I will start being like, man, this is an awesome person. I like talking to them. I can't wait to see them again. Like how your husband left at 4 a.m. and came back around 6 37 in the morning <laughs> yeah so maybe I'm you know, trying to rush it or something I'll tell you one last quick story so that was 10 months later we're going to get married and nobody will marry us because Keith grew up Catholic and I grew up Jewish even though both of us today I would say we're we're not probably not atheists but we're we're not anywhere near organized religion we have our own I rather walk in the woods and convene with nature than sit in a church. But anyway, you. yeah, yeah. So anyway, Keith, but nobody would marry us. Supposed to be the happiest days of our life. Priests wouldn't marry us, a rabbi. So one day he says to me, Marsh, um, you know, should I convert? And I said, do you want to be Jewish? And he said, do I have to have anything cut off? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I've seen yours and I haven't seen a lot, but I think you already did. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Y'all, y'all, I swear y'all perfect for one another. <laughs> That's hilarious. So answer this for me. I saw a clip on Twitter the other day and it was somebody talking about relationships and they said that relationships shouldn't be hard, blah, 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 like People complain that relationships are hard. You got to get through this and get through that. He said, they shouldn't be hard. And the moment it gets hard, I need to leave the relationship. And I'm, I haven't been in a long-term relationship in a long time, but I kind of feel like I disagree with it. Like, what do you think? I agree with you. I think those are the people who can't sustain a relationship because it's, I, this is not original, something... You probably won't even know who the actor was. Paul Newman. I know uh, Paul Newman is. Oh, thank you. <laughs> anyway, Paul Newman was married 50 years to Joanne Woodward. He said, sometimes um, I look at her and I think I feel nothing. And he says, sometimes I look at her and it's disdain. <laughs> and sometimes I look at her and it's far better than 
one ever we met. And when I look at those 50 years, I couldn't have gone through life without her. I think the people that come in with the expectations that it's not, when, life is hard. You're two separate people pulled together. You have money issues. You have religious issues. You have political issues. You have just how you roll the toilet paper. I mean, little tiny things that you never thought would matter. And my dad, who was a clinical psychologist, told me it would be the hardest but most rewarding job of my life. And I think anyone who goes into it expecting this Hollywood version of life, you know, is going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah, because I feel like any relationship that you're with someone, not just a romantic relationship, but if you're that close with someone for an extended period of time, you're going to frustrate one another, especially if you live together and then you sleep together and you're around each other every day. No matter what, that person's bound to get on your nerves. I mean, my parents love me and my sister, but I know we got on their nerves growing up plenty of times. Me and my sister, we got on each other's nerves. Me and my sister to this day, Every once in a while, we'll get we'll annoy one another, and we, it's not even like we're in the same roof under the same roof anymore. But people you work with that you're with five day, four or five days a week, they're going to annoy you just because you're around each other all the time, and you do need a little break from one another. And I Absolutely. I don't see why people don't think marriage is different than that. I I think friendships are hard. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just who we are, but that doesn't minimize what we have, you know. So. It's like I have a uh, so I have now I'm at the age where I'm starting to be friends with a lot of married couples because a lot of my friends are now getting married and I make sure I listen to everything they're having to say about marriage and relationships and just their regular maybe comp not complaints but just whatever they're going through and stuff and uh, I was talking to one of my coworkers and he was mentioning he said marriage is and two other people said the same thing he said marriage is this it's a roller coaster at times where you have really high highs and some low lows at times. He said, but are you with the person that you rather go through all the happy times and the bullshit with? He said, because you can either go through the bullshit by yourself or with the person that you hate, or you can go through the bullshit with someone that you can't wait to tell them about your crappy day. He said, at least I've, if I've had a shitty day, I know that I can call my wife. And even if she doesn't care, she pretends like she cares. Yeah, he said, so yeah. you have someone that's just gonna listen to your bull crap and they'll and they know you the best and that's the person where he said we've been through some crazy times that's the person that if you get too old that person might start having to wipe your behind because you can't wipe your behind anymore he said that he said that's what marriage is he said lord willing we're together 30 40 years and we don't have to get there but he said i know that if i have to i will wipe her ass if i have to i'm like damn that's love no will that is so true thank god i haven't had to wipe <laughs> um, is that, but you know, he was sick for 10 years from 2010 to 2020. I can't even tell you how many hospitals and then waiting for a kidney. And then the guilt you feel because a young man died mm -hmm. and he keep this kidney and he's, you know, older, but, you know, waiting for him outside surgery, holding his hand. He had just March 1st, they, uh, he had a problem and they flew him with the lifeline helicopter to Indy, to the big hospital. And they have a brand new hospital here and the flight path goes right over our house. 
And I had gone up to see if somebody could take care of the dog and get a car and follow the helicopter. And there I saw my husband come right over the top of the deck going to India. I mean, that is just, you know, those are the kinds of things that you don't know. And, you know, my only advice is make every day count because none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. Correct. Life is hard. So why wouldn't your relationship be a little hard sometimes? Yeah. It's, things are going to test you. I mean, yeah. So, all right. That was dope. We're going to take a break and uh, we'll be right back. All right. We're back. Chicken and liquor hour. Got the big homie. Like we said, MHB in the house. Um, so we didn't get to it, but uh, minimize your fucks. What do you do outside of just being retired? Because that seems like a great way to stay sane and not give too many Fs out. But what are you doing to not give too many Fs, to stay sane and not go crazy? We go to Illinois and get gummies because it's <laughs> legal. And that is I a great know, way. <laughs> oh, my God. Sometimes you just need to chill. And, you know, you have life but no seriously I'll sit on uh, my deck I love my flowers and um, and I love my dog and um, what I I I just love I I don't have any complaints and so my stress is lower because I'm not responsible for all these these people I've kidded around saying you know, I kissed so many asses in my last job that it years before my chapped lips healed. <laughs> How long was you in that, your last job? As executive director and CEO of ACUI, 20 years. Oh, wow. That was the longest, actually almost 21. But at ACUI and two other roles too, um, I was at ACUI for 30 plus years. So how did, all right, I'm not going to ask that yet. We'll get into it. So I want to go back. We're going to go back some. So you said you're from, you're from Albuquerque. You was born in Detroit, but you're basically from Albuquerque. Right. I moved there when I was six. So how do you think being from Albuquerque has like molded you into who you are today? Well, um, let's see. In, in many ways, um, I taught in the inner city of Albuquerque and the inner city of Albuquerque is different than the inner city of Chicago. Um, it's the only state in the United States that uh, the Caucasian population is a minority. Now there aren't as many like in California of the different, right. but the Duke of Albuquerque, you know, the streets are have Spanish names, you know, um, we put on a, we put on a, uh, it was great when I taught, we put on a Broadway play called You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and everybody had the rising inflections, eee, Charlie Brown, and we would work to get Charlie Brown, it was, it was, it was such a rich environment, um, you know, I'll give you an example, during Christmas, I'd get um, chili and pasoli and enchiladas and a lot of the folks had no money but 
their mamas could cook and mm -hmm. they would stuff in. And um, I, I loved, loved teaching in the inner city. It was tough, you know, they'd walk, a lot of my students, cause I taught speech and drama. A lot of my students would say, e, Miss Herman, we're gonna walk you to the car. It's a bad neighborhood, you know? <laughs> and they would, we'd stay late to work on whatever play and they'd walk me uh, to the car. They'd ride their bike over to my apartment on the weekends. Um, it was just, one of the most special places. So I love the cultures. I love the, the Native American culture and the Hispanic culture and the food and That's, that was going to be my next question. My next question about like food, like how has that shaped like what your favorite foods are or whatnot even to this day? So it's really crazy. So even though I'm not religiously Jewish. I'm gastronomically Jewish. <laughs> so um, I have lots of recipes that my mom made. But then because I lived in New Mexico, you know, I, I, every September I order 50 pound burlap bag of hatch green chilies. Oh, wow. Uh, you don't, you know, chili powder doesn't cut it. You got to have real red and green chili. So I've become a you know, a fair cook, making my own salsa. And, oh, um, yeah, that's next level. Yeah, and um, even my house today, because I got married in New Mexico, I have lots of pottery, a lot of Southwestern art. So even though I don't live there, it's a part of my life in my art and in my food and culture. So have you had Mexican foods in different areas of the country? Oh, yeah. Hey. Can you tell the difference in oh, it in what area? Absolutely. This like, is, so what's your, what's your first, what's your, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Colorado, okay, Texas, forget it. Tex-Mex, to me, doesn't cut it. Yeah, I um, hear people either, pe the people from there, they love it and think it's the best, but anyone that's not from there doesn't care for it. Yeah, they're just some, I think, the use of green and red chili in New Mexico. And oh my God, they're so papillas. You know, these big puffy pieces of dough they put in the deep fryer and then you cut off thing and you put honey in it and you eat that with the real hot red and green chili. Ugh, the Is best. it spicier? Oh yeah. And they'll ask you how spicy because you can get, when you order chilies, you can get all different levels of spice. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I love the culture and the art and uh and the brown you know i love here because i finally get to live in 80 foot trees instead of a pinon the highest tree in mexico but when my family comes from new mexico and west texas to bloomington they always say oh my god it's like jurassic park <laughs> see and that's not one thing that i actually think of and i forget that when you're on this side of the country and these areas, it's way more just green, way more trees and all of that. And like, I have a friend that he works at the University of Arizona. And so it's a very different lifestyle. Like he grew up with me from Louisville, Kentucky. And we went to college together at Western Kentucky and all that. And he's now out in Arizona. And he talks about how it's just not a lot of just green and like leaves and all of that. And it's just such a different lifestyle. One of the prettiest drives in the whole world is Louisville is 90 miles from Bloomington. 
And one of the prettiest drives is, is going through the woods from, because Southern Indiana is more like Louisville. Yeah. Very different than Indianapolis North, which is very flat. Mm -hmm. Looks, but um, yeah. So have I, you, what about, what about, have you had like Hispanic food and Spanish food in Florida? Um, I don't know if I have. I just noticed that they use cilantro and <laughs> chili powder a lot. <laughs> that uh, is their, correct. They're flavoring. So, you know, not everybody likes the New Mexico, but, you know, that's, I think, the best. I haven't had that because I know, like, and then in Florida, you don't, it's not a lot of Mexicans in Florida, though. It's going to be more Cubans, Dominicans, yeah. Puerto Ricans and stuff. So it's going to be different. Though, but I will say, I've living in Florida for six and a half years, and now I'm being in Atlanta, and people here are like, man, there's a lot of great Mexican restaurants here. I'm like, they're okay. I miss the the food that I had in Florida. Like, it's a lot of restaurants here. The thing about Atlanta is, every everybody's trying to be pretty. Like, they thrive off of aesthetics and want to be bougie and everything wants to look good. And then the food, you have to go. You know, you really got like in a, most cities, you got to go into the actual city. And like into like some of the neighborhoods that aren't the best neighborhoods all the time. That's where the great food really is. But people go to all these just fake bougie restaurants and the food is just mediocre, not seasoned that great. It's like being in Miami. When you go to South Beach, the food on South Beach is, is crap. It's not seasoned. It's not a lot of flavor. It's just, it's the drinks aren't strong. Like when being in Florida, I learned that. The Mexican restaurants that was like a hole in the wall Mexican restaurant where the the person who brings your uh, chips and salsa is probably someone's kid and they can and some of them can barely speak English, but the food is going to be great and the drinks are gonna be strong. Absolutely right. That was the best places are those you find those mom and pop restaurants family runs it and you, you know, you're just not going to find that kind of food in the brick and mortar, like you say, fake, you know, hacienda and all with the blankets over, you know, it's just, it's not the same. Yeah, I have a friend that was like, I'm gonna take you to a really good Mexican restaurant. And we went and everyone there, all the workers were all white. And I'm like, this can't be a great Mexican restaurant if every single person that works here is white. And it was so, it was just so hipster and hippie type of Mexican spot. And the food was bland, didn't have a lot of flavor. Um, then, and you had white girls walking around with sombreros on. I was like, this feels like cultural appropriation. So I was like, yo, we got to get out of here. I said, I cannot allow anyone to see me here. I can't allow that to happen. So we, we left and I took her to another Mexican spot where it was cheap, the, but the food was great. And the drinks were strong. Drinks were strong. Food was great. And half the people could barely speak English. That's how I know the food's probably going to be good. And I'd rather give those people my money and support now, those mom and pops. Now, I will say one of the exceptions to that is a restaurant in San Antonio on the Riverwalk called Boudreaux's. Best prickly pear margarita. And the My best sister loves prickly pear margaritas. So. <laughs> I do too. And the best guacamole made table side oh wow just go in there if you have nothing else that is the best <laughs> see i want to try because 
I love, for me, I love brunch and Mexican food. That's my two favorites. My house, that is what I serve. My favorite meal to make for people when they come over is brunch. I That's love me. brunch foods. Yeah, yes. you, buddy. I have a, in my note section in my phone, I have a list of all the different brunch spots in Atlanta and I have them, I have them categorized as like bottomless mimosa. I have yeah. like how much the mimosas are, like their brunch specials. I have them all in different categories and stuff because I love brunch and Mexican food. And whenever I have friends visit, I either going to cook them brunch or I'm taking them to a brunch restaurant. That's that's my favorite. I don't know. And it's weird with brunch, how popular it is with young people now, because I feel like I feel like when I was in college, brunch was always like an older person thing, like grownups and all that. You didn't see 23 year olds going to brunch and then it's turned into where especially people in my age range we instead of going out to clubs at night we much rather go to like a semi day party at brunch and like get to brunch at 12 30 and drink a lot of mimosas eat good food listen to good music and i love being out where i'm home by eight o'clock i like being home by eight like you see oh you see my shirt says don't invite me out to anything past nine yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm at that stage where if you like if it's seven o'clock right now if it was Friday and someone called me at seven and said hey man we about to go out and going out to the club I'm like well y'all have fun I'm not like I have to I have to be mentally ready to go out now especially to a club at night and it's overpriced drinks and Listen, standing in line you would probably say I'm an extrovert you would probably say that correct but know as I've gotten older and retired I'm not when I had a role as the executive director of ACU I'd sit down at a table and introduce myself I just that was my role right but now you wouldn't I'd die before I just go sit down at a table and introduce myself to people I like I can't stand the noise of a loud place I rather I have a I purposefully had a dining room table for eight because I hate when there's side conversations mm. eight people and we sit at a table and we eat good food and we have wonderful talks and we can hear each other talk and we have great conversations and it's my favorite thing to do so I'm not I'm not I like going out but I like being at home more. I do enjoy being home. How do you feel like when you go back and look at your life and look at the different stages of your life, like early 20s, late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, how do you feel like what it, what you consider fun has changed? Like how you have fun, how has that changed? Like for me, I look at, of course, in my early 20s, I wanted to just go out, get drunk and meet women. That was my idea of fun from my late to mid 20s. And then by the time I get to like 27, I'm like, I like inviting people over to the house and let's just have a game night. We can play Uno, we drink. I may, and then of course I make a lot of my own trivia games. So let's just play games. I'm a cook for everybody that I truly like. I'm a cook for you. We're gonna have fun conversation and chill out. And then even that's what's brought me to here now. I'm like, I can go out for brunch, but I like inviting people over and like cooking for people that I love and having dope conversations. It's your way to show your love for somebody. Even when Keith and I would fuss at each other, get mad at each other, first thing I do is go bake something for him. That was my love language to tell him, you know, I'm sorry, you know, and 
and here's your favorite. Well, he has a sweet tooth. So here's your favorite dessert. Yeah, that's that's my love language. So because I was telling one of my friends, I said, I just don't think I'm good at like at gifts and getting birthday gifts and different gifts for people. And she said, well, yes, you are. It's just that the way you show love is you like to do things for people and not buy something to spend money on. Like she said, well, you're still spending money if you're cooking for people, but you're not buying these material gifts. You like someone, you like to give someone an experience. So either you take them out to eat, but you really enjoy people coming over and you cook for them. Cause like I have uh, two friends back in Florida. I wasn't able to make it to their wedding. So I was just like, well, set a Friday night aside. And I just cooked a whole bunch of food and they stayed, I cooked it all in my house. I had this big old platter and I made like empanadas and chicken wings and shrimp. And I had like vegetables and rice and beans and dessert. And then I made some, and then I took a bottle of wine and made drinks over at their house. And I made some trivia games for them. And we just went over there. We did karaoke. I like, they loved it. And they did. And I was, and for me, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this is probably a, a silly gift or whatever. But they was bragging to everybody, like, guess what Will did for us? And I was, that made me feel really good that how much they loved it. And so I think the people that know me the best, they know that's how I like to show love. So like even last uh, weekend before last for uh, Juneteenth, I had a barbecue and I cooked, I barbecued, grilled a whole lot of food for my, for a couple of friends that came over. And one of my closest friends, Chris, he's like my brother. He took me out to brunch Sunday. It was like, hey, I'm paying for everything. Just want to say thank you for, for cooking all that food and showing us a good time. And I was like, damn, like, I almost was crying some thug tears. I was like, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just how I like to show love like that. Me too. Yeah, that's my favorite way. So what, what do you, do you feel like when you got married, do you feel like, friendships changed or anything like that? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Every year, every part of my life, I've had different kinds of friends. So, and depending where you are, a lot of them are work friends. You just spend so much time at work, you wind up with those individuals you know, as friends. And then there's a few friends that I grew up with since I've been in second grade. And oh, wow. so you still have some of the same friends from second grade? I have my oldest friend is from second grade, Linda. And then uh, a friend that's a guy who was uh, when I was 14 years old, and both of us today at 73, uh, you know, I've kept those friendships. So that's I, so that's really awesome, though, because I see like a lot of people and like I have a couple of friends, like one of my longest friendships, we've been friends since like sixth grade when we was 12 years old and here we are at 34. And then my other longest friendships are like people like one of my, he was my roommate in college. We met on the very first day when we got to campus freshman year. And here we are 16 years later. And I feel like, and there's been friends that have come and gone, but I have my core group of like the guys I call my brothers who I've been friends with since college for 15, 16 years. And I have another friend who I've known since sophomore year of high school. So since like 2004, 2005. And then like my friend, Jonathan, who I've known since 12 years old, I have those. And then I have, and I, th I'm, I think I'm really blessed and lucky that not a lot of people can say they have five, six, seven people that truly are genuine friends. But I really do have a good 10 people in my life 
that I really know they're like, they're not family, but they are family and I can trust with my life and they truly are friends. But with those, I've seen all the other people who have come in my life and we've been close for two years, close for three years, close for five or six years, and then it just fades away. And I used to have a problem with that because I just love relationships and all that. And I would feel real bad when somebody I was close to and then we move and they don't even call me on my birthday. And I had to grow up and move on from that because that's just life, I guess. But I think I've been blessed to have those type of friendships. And do you think with those friendships, because we were talking about relationships being hard. For me, I feel like the majority of my closest friendships, those are easy. Those haven't been difficult to maintain. Would you agree? I, I agree. The ones that are difficult to maintain really aren't the friends. You know, you, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you only can give so much without. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm not saying about getting material things, but, you know, how many times do you uh, call them or text them and they don't return the message you know you have to one at some point in your life say they don't find me as important as i find them and so as i've gotten older instead of that causing me hurt or consternation it's just a fact of life so i have my forever friends and i have new friends and i have old friends and sometimes new friends are really close during that time you can tell a lot um about about people that way so yeah i'm with you i have all kinds of friends but yeah. like you, i have several friends that i know would go to the mat for me <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's really good feeling to have i know it was a tough pill for me to swallow realizing like you said where you're realizing hey i'm putting in more work and i'm always calling them or texting them and they never they they take a week to respond or I'm always having to call them. They never call me. I'm always remembering their birthdays. And for me, early on, when I graduated and got into the professional world, that's when I realized like, oh, college, a lot of the college relationships was all about convenience because we was all just in the same area doing the same things. And it was easy to be friends. And when you have to put effort in, then you see who's like really wants to be in your life. Because when I moved away to Florida, I was 500 miles away from almost everybody that I was close with. And you see the people who are, who will text you, who will call you just to say, what's up? How's everything going? Or like, I have two friends who they're married. And if they think that I'm like, just going through something, they'll randomly send me a gift, just randomly something small, just send me something in the mail. Or even when I moved to Atlanta on my first day at work, one of my friends sent me a cash out for uh, $10 and said, get you a cup of coffee this morning on me. So just something small like that, like, I'm like, damn, you was thinking about me. Like, that, I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right, we got one more segment after this. We're going to play a, we're going to play a little game. All that. So we'll be right back. Another hour of the chicken. We're back. Another hour of the chicken and liquor hour. You know what it is. Willie Southside and MHB in the building. Um, we're going to play a little game. Before we get to the game, I have a question for you. Um, if you were to be in a horror movie, what, what role do you think you would play? 
do you think you would die? Would you die first? Would you die at the end? Would you not die? Would you save someone? Or would you even be the villain? No, I'd be, I wouldn't be the villain. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. I can't even, I don't even like, <coughs> excuse me, horror movies. Oh, I, mean, I love I, horror I, movies. I know that's a whole generational. I, you know how people say they look like this? I truly hide my head under a jacket. Oh, you're like really hiding watching one. Oh, I can't stand it. So I'd be the damsel in distress saved. <laughs> Or I could be, did you ever see that commercial where the guy with, there's all these hooks and they're running in this, never mind, I can't explain the story. <laughs> <laughs> Just forget that story. But my point is, yeah, I'm not a, I mean, the worst horror movie I ever saw was Jaws. <laughs> that was the worst? <laughs> So what, okay, well, real quick then, what movie do you remember, what, what was your favorite movies? Like, what do you remember going to the theater to see that you like, like some God. of your favorites? You would hate, you would hate all of, you're, this is such a, you will hate all the movies. Now, my husband isn't like this, but I love rom-coms. Oh, just, so, hold, hold on, Be, before you move forward, my friends make fun of me because I love rom-coms, <laughs> so they make fun of me. One day for my birthday, I make Keith hates movies, so I'll say, it's my birthday, I get to decide and say, fine, I'll take you to a movie. So one year we go out and we see Julia Roberts in the, she's a bride that doesn't ever. Runaway bride. Runaway bride. And see, I told you, I know. <laughs> we come out of the movie and I said, Keith, what did you think of that? He said, I would have rather burnt a $10 bill in the yard. <laughs> And see, okay. I loved Runaway Brad. <laughs> I, me too, and Pretty Woman, and you know, name it. I love rom coms. Yeah, I, I remember because my mother loved Pretty Woman. So I remember as a kid, I don't even remember what year that probably came out, but I remember watching that on VHS as a kid because my mother and my sister both loved. Actually, let me see what year Pretty Woman came out. Can you guess what year you think Pretty Woman came out? Um, oh my, yeah. I'd say around 1980s, in the 80s sometime. Give me a year. Oh God, okay, 84. 1990. Wow, not yeah. bad. And I was two years old when it came out, but I remember being a kid and my mother had it on VHS. And I remember watching it because I remember the part where Richard Gere had the the uh had well, the uh the phone the I mean the ring in the little box and when she reached for it he closed it on her hand really quick so I've always my friends tease me all the time because I love as much as I love horror movies I love rom coms I watch the heck out of some romantic comedy so oh I love I feel you Dirty Dancing oh yeah I remember, I've only seen Dirty Dancing once oh my God I've so many times but because that's Patrick Swayze right. Oh, and that's a ghost. Yeah, I remember ghosts. I remember a ghost now. I yeah, definitely. My, my mother was a uh, my mother was a huge fan of Patrick Swayze. Yeah, yeah, he was. So I remember his. I remember his movies. That's funny. Shout out to uh, rest in peace, Patrick Swayze. Which I bet I'm. You know, when I go to work, I'm gonna ask my little 19, 20 year old students if they know Patrick Swayze. I guarantee you, none of them know who yeah. he is. Right. 
Matter of fact, half of them might not know who Whoopi Goldberg is, actually. I'm going to ask them. He was so funny in Ghost. Yes, that was the movie, man. That, I, that, I'm pretty sure that came out in like 1990 as well. Yeah. Uh, what a time to be alive. Now we don't even have VHSs and videotapes anymore. Nope. My, how things have changed. I don't even have a landline anymore. Seven well, years old. How, when was so, when did you finally give up your landline? About three years ago. See, and that's why I was wondering, because my mother took forever to give up her landline. She gave up hers, I think, in 2013, 2014. And me and my where, sister was like, what's the point? Where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. When I, grew, when I was young, we had, I didn't have to go through an operator, but we had party lines. And we had, like, you'd have two letters before you'd have the number. So you'd have Alpines, blah, 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 Amherst, blah, 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 with these words. I mean, the whole thing with phones, that's been a big, big thing for people. Do you, do you think, like, what do you feel like has changed the most? So, like, do you think it's been phones, like, in your era? Anything, te anything technology. I didn't get my first computer till I was, um, till 1993. Mm. I'm trying to and think, we got a computer. And the executive director, now Rachel, we got her all those educational computers, a 2G, Apple 2GS, you know, all these crazy computers. But my boss would not buy everybody a computer at the office. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> he won a fax machine, the executive director, ACI, because he said everyone will wait till the last minute. <laughs> And think about it, it's even weird now that like fax machines aren't really a thing anymore. And then like people don't even use like, like in your car now, they don't even have CD players in cars right. anymore. And I mean, I was just thinking about when I was at ACU, I had a lot of young people that worked with me and they helped me with technology and language. Like I had to look up one time you said something to me about dope. <laughs> and I went, did he just think my idea was, what, did he mean dopey? Or is he calling me a dope? I don't get it. So I had to go to the Urban Dictionary and look up dope. And I went, oh, that was a compliment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what's funny about that? Now that I'm at a stage where my students will say things and I got to look it up to see what the heck they're talking about now. And I remember I looked something up. And I said to myself, "Oh, am I am I there now? Where I where I don't know what the young, where the youth are talking about now? It's it's a strange place to be now because it's not like I'm that much older than them. But when I tell them what year I graduated from high school, and I say 2006, they look at me like that. That is 1906. They think that 2006 is a lifetime ago. 1967, I graduated." Oh, shout out to you. You guys, so you graduated, I think, 10 years before my parents. They graduated in 77. Yeah, that your parents are the age of my daughter. Oh, okay. That, well, oh, that's not. No, oh, they're about to say, no, but say they're a little bit older I, than you. My pearl earring, it just went down my shirt. <laughs> well, see, got it. Got okay. It. All um, right. So. <laughs> so I asked the question about the horror movie because we're going to play a game. 
We're going to play a game called, is this a rap song or a movie? Rap song or a movie, okay? Mm -hmm. All right, so the first one is, my mind's playing tricks on me. Is this a rap song about paranoia from rap group Ghetto Boys or a 2000s movie featuring Jim Carrey where he discovers an, a book about the number 23 and becomes increasingly obsessed with the book because he thinks it's based on his life? My mind's playing tricks on me. A Ghetto Boy song or a Jim Carrey movie? <laughs> Jim Carrey movie. How sure are you? I'm not, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, it's a ghetto boy song from the late 80s. Was it a rap song? Yeah, a rap song by rap group Ghetto Boys who came out. They're from Houston, Texas. They first started in the late 80s throughout the early 90s with the lead rapper uh, Scarface, who actually ran for, I think, mayor or alderman in, in Houston just two years ago, actually. And wow. So yeah, rap song. <laughs> My mind's playing tricks on me. It's one of their most popular songs, actually. Yeah, I'm um, gonna badly on this. <laughs> okay, second question. Murder Inc. 2000 rap song by Dr. Dre or 1970s movie about a former detective, male tattoo artist who witnesses a murder in his shop. Murder. And now, he's, now he's hunted by his former rivals. Film. You said it's a film? Nope, it's a rap song by Dr. Dre. <laughs> yes. When's the next part of this? <laughs> Now I'm just going to say rap song no matter what. <laughs> All right. The Spell. The Spell. Is it a dance song by Morris Day and the Time about his charm acting as a spell for a woman? Or is it a 70s movie about a teenage girl taunted by her schoolmates because she's overweight and so she uses her supernatural powers to take revenge? Morris Day and the Time song or a movie about a girl taking revenge with supernatural powers? The Spell. It's a song. <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> Are we, how do this is gonna? We can't end with this game. We won't end with the game. <laughs> All right, Nightmare on My Street, straight to straight to video movie based on based on uh, the Freddy Krueger movies, standing as a prequel to the Freddy Krueger movies. Or is it an 80s rap song by Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff? It's a, it's a Freddy Krueger prequel. Oh, I <laughs> had anyone that hasn't got one right. No, the, uh, there's been one person that only got one right. So you got one more left. Maybe you get this last one right. Maybe you get this last one right. So what have you done to Solange? Is this a 70s movie about a married Italian teacher at a Catholic private school for girls who has an affair with one of the students? Or is it a song by R&B artist and younger sister of Beyonce, which her name is Solange, and about her journey through motherhood, surviving a divorce, and the music industry? What have you done to Solange? Would What'd you say? If that's it, the second one, the song. It's a movie. <laughs> Well, I hate you. <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> I had a, even guessing I had a 50-50 chance and I didn't get one right. You didn't get anything right. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, let, I'm gonna try to help you redeem yourself. All right, 
I'm gonna try to help you redeem yourself. I got two more questions I can ask you. Two more questions. <laughs> Pull yourself together here. <laughs> this is funny. I'm gonna help you see if we can redeem yourself. So before I ask the question, if you were to commit any type of crime, what kind of crime do you think it would be and you would get away with it? Because for me, I feel like I would like, I always wanted to be an art thief. I think I would have been, I wanted to be like an art thief and steal expensive art and then get away and live on an island with all the art. So I would like to be like an Ocean's Eleven or Butch Cassie and Sundance Kid where they have these real, not Butch Cassie and Sundance Kid with Paul Newman and Robert, Re the, the, where there, it's a big con. Yeah. Okay. Like a big, not a big bank heist, but just a big con. A con where yeah you, yeah that's what oh, that would that would be dope that would be dope oh yeah i can see that what what role would you play in the big con would you oh, be like I, are you gonna be george clooney are you gonna be like put the plan together oh my favorite one was oceans eight hmm. where girls you know all the women uh i love that that um, one was good yeah i loved it all right you ready? Let's see if you can redeem yourself. This one is, guess where this crime was committed? You got to guess, guess the state the crime was committed in. All right, let's give you a good one. Um, in 2011, cops say Terry Trent, 44, was high on bath salts when he broke into her family's home, put up Christmas decorations, and then plopped down on a couch to watch television until the family came home and called the cops. Did this crime happen in Ohio? Florida or Georgia? Florida. I put that in for a reason because everybody's going to think Florida, but nope, it's Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. All right, come on. I'm, let's see if you can get this one. In 2015, 37-year-old Jeff Gaylord entered the sheriff's office and turned himself in for killing his imaginary friend, Mr. Happy. Police searched his house and found drug paraphernalia and a machine gun. Gaylord was booked on multiple charges. Florida, Iowa, or South Dakota? <laughs> South Dakota. Florida, sorry. <laughs> Is this podcast about over? I got I'm, one more question. Let's see if you can get this one. Okay, one more. <laughs> teen inspired by cream by the movie Scream. Teen inspired by the movie Scream plotted to kill a jogger and keep his body for sex fantasies. So he watched him and he stalked his route for like several weeks. And when he caught up with him, he tackled him, tried to get him down. And the jogger actually was able to hold him down, called the police and held him down until the police got there. He was inspired by the movie Scream. Is this Florida, Indiana, or New York? New York. It's Florida. <laughs> well, first person to go with 0 for 6 or 0 for 5. <laughs> At least you set a record. You're the first person to go over 5. I feel really very. <laughs> You're in a lane of your own. You're in a I... league of your own. I love that movie. <laughs> so, see there you go you're in a league of your own so which you know they're actually uh turning that into a a, a limited tv series for 
one of the streaming services. So League of Their Own is going to turn into a TV like series. Like that movie? There's mm-hmm. no crying in baseball. No crying in baseball. Wasn't that, what was that? Ricky Lake was in that? Tom Hanks? No, I think Tom Ricky Lake. And, Madonna, uh, Madonna. Madonna and uh, Rosie O'Donnell. That's who, I said Ricky Lake. I mean, Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> Rollins, who not Gina Rollins, the tall Gina Davis, Gina Davis. Yeah, I know. I know some uh, white women actresses. I know some mm-hmm. of them. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> I know some of them. Um, so shout out to you, over five. <laughs> um, we're coming to the end of the podcast. I like to always end with, um, you know. A word of advice for the people listening. What kind of, do you have anything for us to live by to some kind of advice to give us some inspiration for the week coming up? Yeah, I have, I think authenticity. Um, you know, there's two words that I I always try. I, what you see is what you get. So I try to be the authentic me. And being a little bit vulnerable you know, sharing with students or friends that you flunked out of college. Yeah, you went back and then you got to go to graduate school, but your freshman year, you flunked out of college. You know, to to put yourself out there and to see then what comes back to you because people can relate to it. So they see this successful person, but they don't see that I had some of the same trials and tribulations they had. I'll tell you my favorite story. I, Mark, let's see, June 1st, I went to the hospital in an ambulance. I got just really sick to my stomach and I'm throwing up and the EMT comes upstairs. I got my head in a bucket and she said, what do you have to do for a living to live in a house like this? You remind me a lot of me when I was growing up. She said, really? I said, yeah. I said, I didn't have a filter and my timing sucked. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have a filter and my timing sucked. But I said, how old are you? And she said, you know, I'm 22. I said, I didn't have this when I was 22. You know, I worked all, I didn't do anything extraordinary but this happened after I retired that we were able to redo the house. The kid was out of college. And all the student loans were paid and my husband had started a business and on and on and on and on. And now we finally had some discretionary income. The first thing I did with discretionary income, I, came, I went to Los Angeles um, to farmer's market and they have all these shops. I can't, real fancy shops. And I bought a coach bag for $800. And I got off the plane. I said, honey, you're not going to believe this. I just bought a purse for $800. So I'm, and he said, you can get a purse for $800, (laughs) but it will last a lifetime. And he said, you should have bought it sooner. Oh my God. <laughs> he does have them little quick jabs, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, but that, that's really, really the truth. So, you know, people see somebody else's situation, but they don't know how long that took them or what they had to do, or that both of us sent money to both of our parents, our mothers after our fathers died. You know, they don't know 
what your life has been or what your priorities are. So I, you know, I just wanted to explain to her that, you know, I got this when I was, you know, 67 years old, not 22. Yeah. And so I, that's a, a good lesson. Anyway, authenticity. And if you can be a little bit vulnerable, a lot of people will be attracted to you, but some people just aren't confident enough in themselves to put themselves out there. But boy, I, people relate to you that way. Yeah, I, I think I try to go by that. I feel like I'm always for the good, for the good or the bad. I'm authentically myself all the times. And sometimes that's not always great in the professional world, especially depending on what kind of uppity people you work with. Um, but I'm always authentically myself and uh, vulnerable. I'm pretty vulnerable. And I think, there's, I, I think there's a confidence in yourself you have to have in order to be vulnerable and, and authentic all the time. And I think we're kindred spirits. Look at all the things that we, look, there's a huge, you know, you're black, I'm white. You're young, I'm old. Uh, we've, we met each other because of a common working at a university or, you know, in an association. Um, but look at all, once we really got to talk, look at all the similarities, we both like brunch. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, we want to be home. We like our house. Don't want to Rom-coms. You know, we like rom-coms. If somebody looked at us, and that's why you can't make those assumptions about people. Look at us. Would anybody say we're kindred spirits? Well, Probably not. No, but I think that's just, I think. I think we are. That's I think the, that's the dopeness of life. Each other and liked each other the minute we met each other. Yeah. And for all the differences. And what I found in you was authenticity and uh, a sense of fun that I absolutely loved. And that's why I occasionally see what you're doing on Facebook or something, because you just make me happy. Thank you. I appreciate that because sometimes I'm like, maybe I should just fall back and, but you never know who's paying attention. Right. And you never know who you're making smile too. Like, even if it's for six seconds, 30 seconds, whatever it is, you just never know you're making, if you're making someone smile and how much they may need that little, that laughter. Favorite little poems is a smile costs nothing, but gives much. It enriches those who receive without making poor those who give. It takes but a moment, but the memory of it sometimes lasts forever. No one is so rich or mighty that they can do without it, and no one is so poor that they can't be made rich by it. Some people are too tired to give a smile. Give them one of yours, because no one needs a smile so much as he who has none to give. So that was dope. I think that's a perfect way to end the podcast. Shout out. Uh, thank you, MHB, for popping up. Hopefully we can do this again. I'd love it. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Of course, always. Uh, for everybody listening, say most it again. Thing say it one this, more time. This was the most exciting thing for this old girl. It's the first time I've done anything like this in seven years, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad you did. And we're, we're going to do it again. I think we should make this more of a regular thing because uh, <laughs> great conversation and it's fun. It'd be some fun to look forward to as well. Um, but I appreciate you, everybody listening. It's been another hour 
or two or three, however many hours of the chicken and liquor hour. I love everybody and appreciate y'all. Peace.